Today we continue our series on escaping escapism. I think one of the greatest uh, dangers that we face as a culture, right, to, to just escape reality, try to get away from it, get on our phones, just uh, get away from dealing with the world around us. But that really keeps us from living the life that God wants us to. And I think that, like I say, it makes us uncomfortably numb. We know that the world is happening out there. It's the reason we want to escape. There's a better way. Uh, but I think one of the reasons that we want to escape is, is uh, when we talk about today, is community. Uh, it's sometimes it's the world in which we live and just seems insane. I, I know that I'm not the only one that feels this, right? Like, and, and really, when we talk about the world around us, like, that our communities sometimes feel so broken, it's because of the culture of our community, right? And, and, and I think we all recognize that not all cultures are the same, right? I mean, some culture can give you fine cheese, and other cultures can produce the slime on the bottom of a Petri dish. And I feel like sometimes, I look at our culture, and I feel like we're living in the slime, and uh, we're not improving with age. And I think because of that, we see the world here that oftentimes as Christians, we escape, but we escape in, a, and I think, a far more dangerous way, is that we come together, and we shut out the rest of the world, and we remove ourselves from anybody who sees anything different. We want to be with the, those, the vipers in the pit of their den of iniquity, right? We don't want to, to be mingling with the rest of this scummy, scuzzy world. And so we surround ourselves with just other people that are Christians, that are like-minded because it's more comfortable. And we escape into the safety of our own little echo chamber where we just hear the nice things that remind us that the world actually has some hope, but we don't want to deal with the ickiness out there. But I'm going to tell you that that's what's causing the ickiness out there. And God has a better way for us to live, and he calls us to something better than to just escape into a tiny and shrinking population of people who somehow still have a resemblance of some type of good sanity. He calls us with great purpose into our community. And it goes back to then our memory verse, our anchor verse for the series. This is a way that we apply it. Because we'd be very careful then how you live, not as unwise, but as wise. Making the most of every opportunity because, boy, get this, the days are evil. Have you memorized that yet? Uh, you know what? I'm going to help you because we haven't done this for a while. You just say it along with me. Here we go. Three, two, one. Be very careful then how you live, not as unwise, but as wise, making the most of every opportunity because the days are evil. Ephesians 5, 15. You know that feels good, doesn't it? To just remind ourselves of the word that even in evil days we can live as wise, that there is opportunity. There is opportunity. Hear that. And so we're going to talk about that. There's opportunity even here, even in a broken community, even in a, a scuzzy culture. I mean, even the word community, if we get down to it, this is, really comes with this idea of the common unity. Like, what is my community? Well, it's whatever I have a, a commonality with somebody else, I have community with them. Right, so we have a community of faith. We have Christ in common, right? That's the community that we have. We have this unity in Jesus that we hold in common. But there's other types of community that you are also a part of. And I don't know if you know that, but part of the things that we hold in common with other people are the location in which we live. We have a community of the Estes Valley. Not because we hold much else in common with other people, but the very fact that we live in the same area, we have something in common with them. And now we are in community. 
And that relationship provides us opportunity. But we have to be wise. How are we using that opportunity here? Well, if you turn your Bibles to Luke chapter 10, I think you're going to find some encouragement as well as some direction in this from Jesus himself. Now, in Luke chapter 10, right, Jesus is talking about the kingdom of God as he spent a lot of time doing. And as he does this, he's being questioned then about this kingdom. And there's this, this teacher of the law, this religious expert, comes to him and tries to trip him up. And he asks a very profound question that I think every person at some point, really, if they have a spiritual sense at all, asks, what must I do to attain eternal life? Isn't that the question behind every religion? That's why people do all kinds of crazy things in the name of religion. We, we recognize this world is not going to be forever, right? What do I have to do to attain this eternal life? What's it all about? What's the most important thing? If I'm going to get anything right, what is it? And I love how Jesus answers them. He says, you know the scriptures. What do they say? How do you read them? Right? And the man says this, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, with all your mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. This is his answer. And it's a good answer. In fact, Jesus, two other times in the gospel, actually gives this as the answer to the question, what's the most important commandment? If you're all the commandments of God, if you're going to get anything right, what is it? And Jesus, he goes right here. And he gives the exact same thing. Love the Lord your God with basically everything you are. And love your neighbor as yourself. That's the, the greatest commandments. It's the, it's the most important thing. Like this expert of the law read it even himself and says, it's very clear in Scripture, this is what God wants. If we're going to get anything right, let's get this right. But it says in Scripture that as the man was telling this, he was convicted in his own spirit, right? And he wants to justify himself. Because he's an expert of the law, and we know good lawyers, you know, words matter. So who is my neighbor? Do I really have to love everybody? Because <laughs> I know I'm not all that loving to everybody. So, Jesus, really, who is my neighbor? Who do I have commonality with? Right? And I imagine in his heart and his thinking, he was thinking the Jewish community, my religious community, the people that I have the most in common with. These are the ones that I'm supposed to love as myself. Jesus, seeing this, addresses it with a story and a parable that I think most of you know. But let's read it together, shall we? Starting in verse 30, he says, In reply, Jesus said, A man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho when he was attacked by robbers. They stripped him of his clothes and beat him and went away, leaving him half dead. A priest happened to be going down the same road, and when he saw the man, he passed on the other side. So to a Levite, when he came by the place where he saw him, he passed by onto the other side. But a Samaritan, as he traveled, came where the man was, and when he saw him, he took pity on him. He went over to him and bandaged his wounds and pouring oil and wine, and when he put the man on his own donkey, he brought him to an inn and took care of him. The next day, he took out two denarii and gave it to the innkeeper. Look after him, he said. And when I return, I will reimburse you for any of the extra expenses you may have. Which of these three do you think was a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of the robbers? It's a very profound question. Because he chose different communities. He starts with the religious community. You have a, a priest. 
right? We have the community of faith. These are the ones that you would think. And if it wasn't that, then he had a Levite. He had somebody part of his nationality, right? At least part of that. No. Now you have somebody who's in an enemy nation who happens to be in that same space but treats him better. Which of the three? Well, the expert of the law replied, the one who had mercy on him. And Jesus said, and I think this is interesting, not you are right, but go and do likewise. The greatest commandments, to love God with everything we are, which requires us also to love others, our neighbors as ourselves, requires community. Do you get that? That's how Jesus explains how this law is fulfilled. He gives us an example of community and what it means to be a neighbor. And then he expands the community, not to those who are like us and not to those who we like, but to everyone we come in contact with, whom we share this earth with, who we come in contact with. In Scripture, we have three, well, actually, there's a lot of different reasons that God gives us purpose in our communities that we live within. How do we love our neighbors? There's lots of reasons and lots of ways that God calls us to, but there are three very big ones. We're going to talk about the main ones today, that God gives us purposes he has for us in community, why we shouldn't escape this scuzzy world in which we live. And the first one is God has us here to serve our community through good works. That's one of the reasons you exist. He created you for this, right? All of us are called to be good Samaritans, right? That what Jesus said, the teacher of the law, go and do likewise. That's the example we're all to follow. Every one of us is to be a person who serves others doing good things, even those who the world would say, and even our emotions would say, this is my enemy. We're to serve our world through good works. Jesus' Sermon on the Mount, which we spent I did a great series on, just last series, and we talk about the kingdom of God, and Jesus says in the midst of that that you are the light of the world. A town built on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people put a, a light on a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on a stand, and it gives light to everyone in the house in the same way. Let your light shine before others that they may see your good deeds. And glorify your Father in heaven. Now, oftentimes as Christians, we have a hard time with this. We're like, well, if I'm truly good, then all my good deeds need to be in private. Got to be quiet. Need to be secret, stealthy good deeders. That's what we got to do. But Jesus said, no, you are the kingdom of God. And you also, yes, we should be doing good in private where no one can see, but we also need to be actively doing good in public where everyone can see, not so that we would receive glory, but that everyone would say, wow, those Christians do really good things and they glorify the God whom we serve. You recognize that the reason he does that is because we represent him. In Scripture, aren't, aren't we not called the, the kingdom of God? Are we not called the, the, the body of Christ? You recognize that we are Christ's ambassadors? How people perceive us is how they perceive Jesus, whether good or bad. So let it be good. And so let us do good. Not taking credit for ourselves, 
to say, well, look at all these great things that we do. We're the best church in town. Now, why are we different? Why do we serve? Because we have a greater purpose. We have a God who loves. He loves people. And he cares. And he's a God who is intrinsically good. And if we're going to follow after him, we will do things that are intrinsically good. That's the thing is that we're supposed to, as Christians, brighten the world with the gospel. If we complain that our world is so dark and that's why we want to escape from it, we're missing the point. The world is so dark because it needs more light. And he sent us out to be the light of this world. If we escape, the darkness wins. What hope is there? That's one of the reasons that he's created us. When we see the darkness that makes us want to escape, it's all the more reason to press into our community, to press into our culture, to go there and to serve. And how do we bring that light? By serving through good deeds, by caring for others. That's why Christians, we ought to be model citizens as much as it's possible legally, right? There are sometimes the government tells us to do things that are contradictory to God's law, right? We can't do those things. Sometimes we have to, to, to you know, have this, peaceful protest but most of the time as much as is possible we ought to be model citizens we ought to be the best citizens in a culture the ones who give the most to the culture we ought to be the best employees in a business like when a, when a boss hires a christian they should celebrate because we will be the very best workers because we're going to go above and beyond we're not just working for their profit we're working for god if we're in school, we should be the best students because we're, we don't just serve for a grade. We serve the God of truth. We are people of excellence because we have an excellent God. We are to serve people not because they deserve it, but because they need it, because our God served us, not because we deserved it, but because we needed it. Good works are what you were made for. Right? Remember that from last week? That we went to Ephesians and it says that you were God's handiwork, crafted, made by God perfectly for what? To do good works which God prepared in advance for you to do. That's why you were crafted the way you are. The Christian who escapes this world and does not serve it is a Christian that is putting the light under a bushel. We are making the world more dark. We can't point our finger at the pagan and say, look how dark and scuzzy you're making the world. They're pagans. They, they still live under the curse of sin. What do we expect? The world is dark because we're not there bringing it light. We have to press in. We cannot run away. Which is, brings the second thing. is not just that we serve this world through good works. Right? But also, the second thing is we are to preserve our community through good morals. Like, that's one of the reasons that God puts us in there, right? Like, we can have right actions, but right actions have to be born of right beliefs. If you have wrong beliefs, you're going to think your actions are right, but they're going to be wrong. Let me give you a very poignant and very painful example of that. Is what happened in Israel recently with the Palestinians. You know that those, those Palestinian terrorists who went in and did horrible, unspeakable things, they thought themselves moral. If 
Some of them even said, we are martyrs. We're happy to die for this because what we're doing is right. We are serving God by doing these horrible things. When people do what's right in their own eyes, we often do the wrong thing and we can perpetrate the most despicable evils thinking that we're right. That's the culture war, by the way. It's one of the reasons we can't go as Christians go out into the culture war and say, you evil pagans, you can't believe you're doing all these horrible things. They think they're on the moral high ground. We as humans are spiritually blinded. And we were blinded because of the poison of Eden when we had that deadly fruit which allowed us then to decide what we think is right and wrong. That's exactly what we've done. And so our morals, our ethics have been divorced from God. We believe what is evil is good and what is good is evil. It's just part of being spiritually blinded. And so we look at this culture and we see that the culture is sinful, proudly sinful, calling evil good and good evil. And believing it to be so. And perpetrating horrible wickedness upon one another. In the name of thinking they're doing what's right. And then wondering why the world is falling apart. Because here's something. Sin results in death always. Always. Spiritual law. And so if we look at this world, we're like, if sin causes death, then this world is dead meat. We can't even tell what's right and wrong as people in and of ourselves. Even in the name of religion, people do horrible things, unspeakable evils. Who can save us from this? Well, Christ. But guess what? He put us into this broken, dead meat, rotting culture, which stinks to high heaven, as preservative. You see, before he said, be in this world as light. In Matthew, he says, you are the salt of the earth. Right? But if salt loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? It's no longer good for anything, but except to be thrown out and trampled underfoot. You know what? Salt is a preservative. That's the whole point. That when God saved you, he transformed you. He didn't just save you from death to life. He actually made you the anti-death. Think of that. He made you a preservative. We are to be in this world keeping it from falling apart. If I have meat and I don't have a refrigerator and I don't want that meat to rot, what do I do? I preserve it. I got to put a lot of salt on it. And if I salt it enough, it's going to halt the decay process. And God has put us in this world, this dead meat rotting world as a preservative to halt the decay process. When we see the scuzz all around us, maybe we're not preserving well enough. That's why he says, you got to stay salty. We got to stay away from our morals and stick with God's. It's his kingdom, his, his righteousness. That's what we seek after. Not my kingdom, my righteousness. You guys would be shocked at the number of times I have to preach something that I disagree with. Right? I find something in the word of God and it offends me. But it's the word of God. This is not the church of Aaron Dorman. I'm not saving you. I am grateful when I find in the word of God when it actually contradicts my own thinking because I'm finally able to, to recognize that where I've been wrong. 
where I've invited death into my life. Now, I will preach the word of God and truth because it is the only thing that saves. But sadly, many Christians have lost their saltiness. In the name of being culturally relevant, we have ignored the ways of God. And we said, well, the, God's, the word says this, but that's old-fashioned. That's not what God really would mean. That's not loving. And so we've turned away from God's ways, and we've embraced the ethics of our current decaying culture, and we wonder why, as Christians, why we're not preserving the culture. We've lost our saltiness. It breaks my heart when I see so many from the pulpits, even across our country, that preach things that are in contradiction to God's ways. In the name of being culturally relevant, in the, way of, in the name of being tolerant, in the way of being, you know, modern. This is not helping. It's only increasing the decay. But we even do it in our own lives, don't we? We read something the Word of God and offends us, and we're like, I don't like that. Let's read something else. The Word of God is truth. And Jesus tells us we, we have to not only cling to for ourselves, but for our very culture. And one of the reasons that our culture is in its moral decline is because Christians have stopped being salty. We've stopped standing for God's truth and his morals and his ways and his righteousness. We've actually adopted in so many ways the, the immoral morals of our world. And then we wonder why the world is like it is. We're not preserving it. But it's not just that we're not salty. I think there are plenty of salty Christians. There are some. But I'm going to tell you this. If I have got a big old thing of meat and I want to preserve it, right, I'm going to need more than a teaspoon of salt. I can have the saltiest salt in the world, but I need more than a teaspoon, right? If I want to preserve something, the more salt, the better. And you see that in cultures in which... For a long time, for thousands of years, we had a Christianized culture in the West. And what did we see? Human rights increasing, right? We saw things like slavery and all kinds of sexism, all kinds of things being undone, right? There was a preservation, a growth of human rights, a growth of wealth, a growth of prosperity amongst the, in the world. And what happened? We began to lose our saltiness. And we see a moral decline, a, a spiritual decline, a cultural decline. We see crime and brokenness and divorce and, and abuse and all these things on the rise. It's awful. It's scuzzy. Well, you need more Christians, which is wise. And we're not just to preserve the culture, but one of the things that we're here is to save our community through the good news. We're to help make more salt. Now, I know some of you bristle at that. We don't save anybody. Jesus saves them. I get that. Trust me. But hear what I'm saying. If I'm really sick, I got a sickness, I got a cold, I'm feeling bad, right? And I got this horrible, awful thing, and I'm hacking it, and I'm, I'm, on, I'm all just gross. Right? I'm really sick, and that's going to lead to death. It's a sickness that's going to lead to death, right? What am I going to do? Well, I'm going to take myself to the doctor. And I go to the doctor, and he's like, man, you are really sick, Aaron. And if he's a good doctor, he's going to tell me the truth. He's not like, hey, you're fine. Go home. You're good. He goes, hey, you're sick. It's ugly. You're going to die. But here's a pill that will save you. And he gives me the antibiotic. 
and I take the antibiotic, and I get better. What saved me? Well, the antibiotic, clearly. But who gave me the antibiotic? The doctor. You see, Jesus saves. He's the only one that can save. Right? He is the antidote to sin. Right? He is the way of life. It is the gospel of Jesus Christ is the only thing, the cure for the, what ails our culture and our community. No question. But who's supposed to and who's been authorized by God, who's been given the responsibility by God to be able to distribute the gospel? Is it the pagans? Is it our schools? Is it our government? Is it us? This is what Jesus, I think, helped us understand as he came into this world and, and he, he, he gave us this commission to go and to make disciples. It's what, what the Apostle Paul was talking about in Romans 10. Right? When he talks about Jesus is the way of salvation, we're all broken without him. We get to, to Romans chapter 10, and the apostle writes this. He says, everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Jesus is the way of salvation. That's it. But how then can they call on the one they've not believed in? And how they can believe in the one whom they have not heard? And how can they hear without someone preaching to them? And how could anyone preach unless that they are silent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news. We have a place in this. Jesus is the cure. The gospel is the good news of Jesus. That's what it is. We are to save our community by bringing the good news. Not just by doing good works. right? Not just by, by having right morals and being this moral people that are unmovable and we're not going to go with culture. We are to help save the community by bringing the good news to those who are broken. This is, there is nobody else that's doing this, right? We, we can't look at the Buddhists and say, are you, are you helping people find Jesus? Muslims are not doing that, right? There's the secularists, the psychologists, they're not doing that. The only ones who've been authorized by God to give the prescription of the gospel are the Christians, us. And if we want to see a stop, a, a, a a, a reversal of, of the destruction of our culture and of society, it's only going to happen if, if, if we bring Christ, the good news, the gospel to our community. It is the only difference. That's the only way to make the change. It's like if I'm sick, the only way I'm going to get better if I take the right medicine. And we're the only ones authorized to prescribe it. We're the only ones authorized to give it. So if we escape, what hope is there in our world? If we as Christians just come together and say, well, We've got it right. Forget about those other people who have it wrong. They're onerous. They're ugly. They're stinky. We don't want to be around them. We are assigning them to death in darkness and in ignorance. And I can't think of anything more hateful. And Jesus says, love your enemies. That's the greatest commandment. And so we have an important task. We have to be focused on this. To make sure that we're not just going into the community doing good works. This is what the problem with which the, the social gospel churches, they, they get wrong. They get the first two things right. They've got right morals and they've got, they've got good actions, but they let their goody two-shoes cover up their beautiful feet. We need to be in the community on purpose, helping our neighbors and our friends and our community members, pointing to Jesus, saying, these are the reasons we're doing good works. It's because we have this amazing God, but he's also a God who loves you. 
Jesus came for sinners, for the broken, for the imperfect, for the hopeless, for the scuzzy, like all of us. He came for the sick so that we could be made well. And we are the only ones who have any hope for this culture. Doesn't matter what the government or what the corporations or what the media or anybody else thinks. God has put us in this world to bless our community by bringing life. And so let's do it. We cannot escape. We are called to save with the gospel. And that means that every Christian, every one of us, even me, is an evangelist. Even me. And that makes me a little scared because I'm not a good evangelist. I'm a great preacher, right? Amen. <laughs> but I'm a horrible evangelist. I get, I get nervous and then people drive me nuts and I get angry and I don't know what to say, right? But God is with me. And there have been so many times that just in spite of my ignorance, in spite of my brokenness, God has allowed me to serve somebody and help them be open to receiving the gospel because God is with me. He will not leave me in this mission. That's what Jesus tells us in Matthew 28. This is the Great Commission. Jesus dies, he raises again. He goes and meets his disciples outside of the Galilee, up on this mountainside that's just on the northern portion of it. Same area, by the way, that he calls the 12. He meets them there and he gives them this commission. This is the most important thing. He says, listen, guys, you all well know that I'm the boss of everything, right? I have been given authority in heaven and on earth over everything. So I'm the boss. And this is because I'm the boss. This is what I'm going to tell you to do. Therefore, go make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you. And surely I'm with you always, even to the end of the age. What do he ask us to do? Make disciples. That's the only really imperative command in there. The other verbs there tell us how to do it. We've got to go to people. We can't wait for the world to come to us. We've we got to have a mission. We're going out there. Who do we go to? Do we just go to the people that are like us? No. He says, go to all the nations, which is the ethnos, all the different kinds of people. Not just the people that are in your religious community or your national community, the people who are like you, but the people even, especially those who are not like you, for everybody to go. And what do we bring to them? We bring to them salvation. We bring the gospel. We baptize them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. We bring them to a place of, of salvation by grace through faith. We help them become born again, but then we don't leave them as orphans. We then teach them to obey everything Christ commanded. We help them grow up, right? To have a, a robust faith, to, to gain that saltiness, to become bearers of God's light and truth. Right, to expand the kingdom, to add more salt to the equation so we can be better preservers of our culture. To be more bearers of light, to make this world a little less dark. And get at this, that God is with us. What a great promise. You might say to yourself, I'm a horrible evangelist. I say that because I am. Like I'm not a Billy Graham type, but guess what? God has still brought people to faith through me. It blows my mind. I have had the opportunity to influence people, to even come to church, to, to, to experience the gospel, to meet other Christians. All of us have a call. All of us have a role to play, and God is with you in this. And I might not be a great evangelist, but the Holy Spirit's pretty great. So let's work with the Holy Spirit. 
you know, that's, that's why our church, we talk about this, our goal, our mission, our vision, we, are, we will be saturated in the Estes Valley with the gospel of Jesus Christ. There's no reason that we cannot do this. This is our cause, our mission. God is with us. There's no reason any human being should be able to enter Estes Park and leave without knowing that there is a God who loves them, that his name is Jesus. He died on a cross for their sins and paid their penalty so that they, they could be made right with him, that they can be saved by his grace simply through their faith, and they express their faith by believing and confessing, repenting, being baptized, being discipled, right? There's no reason any human should come to Estes Park and not know this. Not everyone's going to accept it, but there is no excuse for us to be in this valley without saturating with, with the gospel of Jesus Christ. That is what we are driven to do because that is what call, God has called us to do. So we're not going to fail. That's one of the reasons we talk about our, our commitment, right? Like, what is our strategy to do it? That's, you see these on your seat backs. We talk about this, our, our take five. That's what it's all about. It's not about growing a church. Who cares about that? We're growing the kingdom. We are building the kingdom of God. But we all have to be part of it. It's not going to happen if the salt loses its saltiness. It's not going to happen if the, if the Christians say, I'm not going to go out and do anything. Then we ask, I mean, it's, it's not hard. But it has, requires intentionality. I mean, there's five things. Praying. Can we pray? Can we trust God to do his part, to do the impossible, to change hearts? Can we pray for our community, to bless our community, for our families, and for the workers in our communities? Can we, can we be praying intentionally every day of the, of the work week? Because it's work. And in that, can we be praying for five people we know who need to know the gospel? Yeah. Yeah, we can do that. Yeah, that's not hard. It just requires a little bit of discipline. Not even a whole lot of discipline. You know how I've done this? I put it on my phone, so it just, ding, Aaron, pray for this today. Oh, yeah, I got to pray for that day because I'm, you know, uh, I get distracted. But I'm praying, and I encourage you to do to us well, to be here. It's gathering. This is testimony. We have to come together to be the body of Christ. We're going to talk about that next week. To be here. You can't be a Christian on your own. We're going to be disjointed. And we're not going to be effective. Can you serve? Using your gifts is good works. We're going to talk about that next week. We have a lot of things to celebrate. Some things our church is doing as good works and how we're, uh, we're going to expand that even this next year. But serving, are you serving? Just begin using the gifts that God has given you to do good works so people can glorify your Father in heaven. Can you invite people to church? Yeah, you can do that. They might say, no, don't kidnap them. But, but you can invite them, right? Can you participate? Can you worship God with your things? What a demonstration of the world that we live for something much bigger than they do. Can you make a commitment to build our kingdom, can you saturate our valley, to be the salt and light, to be the wolves who, who are in the community that are bringing the gospel of the kingdom of God into a very broken culture? Because that's what we're called to do. Let's not escape. In fact, one of the best ways not to escape our culture is by leaning into it, by worshiping God in our community. What does that mean? By putting Christ back at the center in our community. Right? How do we do that? Well, we start even with us as we put his mission as our mission. Let's center on his purposes. Save the world <laughs> through the good news. It's good news, by the way. How else to do it? Well, centering our, our culture around his nature. God is good. He has good morals. Even when they disagree with ours, even when they're not popular in the day, God's morals are good. They have proven to be good over millennia. They are good. 
Can we cling to him and stay with him? And how about can we center on his love? Can we serve even our enemies through good works? Not because they deserve it, not because we like them, but because our God loves people. And he's called us to serve everybody, even like Samaritans. We're called to serve. So how about you? How do you apply this? Well, there's a lot of ways to do it. First thing you might want to do is meditate on Ephesians 5.15. You have said it this morning. Think about it. How are you living as wise, not as unwise? How are you making the most of every opportunity, even our community? Right? Not giving the excuse that the days are evil. <laughs> Take some time this week. Meditate on that. Something else you might want to do? Read the Old Testament book of Micah. It's not long, by the way. It's short. And we're getting ready for Christmas season. You're going to have it quoted anyhow, so you might as well just read it now. But here's a great book, a prophet that talks about the importance of community, of the importance about having a Christ-centeredness in the religious community so that it can have its effect in the rest of the world, so it can be the light that it's called to be. You want to see God's heart for community. Mike is a great book to read. And again, it's short, so read it. Something else you might want to do is you commit to our Take 5. In particular in this, why not the evangelism portion? Pray for five, five days a week. Join us in prayer. Also, commit to inviting five people this next year. Helping evangelize, because that's one of the reasons God created you to be here. Make that commitment. Join in. We are saturating this valley with the gospel of Jesus Christ because this is the purpose that he's created us for, and it's going to be exciting as we see this culture turn around. And part of that may be something that you might want to do is serve a particular person this week. Right? Maybe there's a good work that you know God is prepared in advance for you to do, and you just need the little push to say, yes, I'm going to do it. Here's a person, maybe, maybe, might be somebody that's kind of like an enemy to you even. But something good intentionally that you are doing, maybe that person lives in that same house with you. And you're going to choose to serve them this week as a good work. Right? That, that could be something that you commit to. Something else you might want to do? This is not on there, but it could be in the other thing. Why don't you come to the, the candidate thing for our, our, our school board? You know, as Christians, we should, have a, we should be salt and light, caring for the people who are in charge of helping direct our education of our children. We can't be absent. Don't escape it. Get to know the candidates. Be there at 6 o'clock tomorrow at Cornerstone Church. Ask questions. Be respectful. Be kind. But find out. What are the people? What are they... What are their viewpoints that are going to be on the school board that affect our kids? That's another way engaging our community with salt and light. All of us have something to do. I encourage you, if you have some, mark it on your connection card. But I tell you what, if, if you're not a Christian and you're here this morning, I got good news for you. It, right? That, that you don't have to continue to be part of the scuzziness. That you can be not only preserved, but you can be transformed. That God can change this the way that you've lived from, from a place that's really hopeless and leads to death to a whole different way of, of hope and of life. That you can be saved by God's grace simply through your faith in Christ Jesus as your Lord and Savior. You need to make that commitment. Don't continue to walk in darkness and live in darkness any longer. And, and, and really understand this, that even your best thinking is not going to save you. Like, are, are you better than the Palestinians or anybody else who goes and does evil things and you think they're right? None of us are immune from that. If you're blind, you're blind. But God came so that you could live in a better way. He's given you truth. He's given you purpose. 
He's given you a way to live. You need to become a Christian, be born again, part of his kingdom, to learn how to, to, to walk in this new way of purpose. What I want you to do is after the service, I'm going to be right there in the back. Come see me. I'd, I'd love to talk with you about answer your questions and help you take those steps of faith so that you can begin walking in this new way of life and you can be part of the life, the goodness that God has called you to. All of us have commitments to make. Please mark them on your connection cards. I encourage you to then drop those in the offering basket along with your tithes and your gifts as they're passed. Make this a first step of being the salt and the light, the preservation, the evangelism that God has called you to as his children in Christ. Let me pray for you to make these commitments. Heavenly Father, thank you for your goodness and your kindness that you didn't leave us in darkness, you didn't let this world just rot and decay, but you sent us a savior. You sent us the cure for sin, this the cure for death. You sent us your own self, but and you've given us this amazing good news. But Father, we're not content just to have received it. Lord, we want to be a salty church. We want to be a church that shines your light. We want to be a church that draws a community back to you in life. So empower us, equip us, give us the, the heart and the desire and the ability and the opportunity to be able to expand your kingdom, which is so good uh, in, this, in this Estes Park Valley. May we be a blessing to our, our employers. May we be a blessing to our, our government. May we be a blessing to, to those that we live around in our neighborhood. Father, help us to be your blessing here. In that, Lord, we've made these commitments. Help us to keep them away that brings you glory and honor. Father, that draws us closer to you. We pray all that in the beautiful name. Savior Jesus.